for the long-term success of like a your relationship and also like your kid's baseball career if they're dreading the drive home at some point they will stop playing and there will be no more drive home welcome into another episode of baseball americas from phenom to the farm i'm your host kyle banduho Today's episode is the third in our series about sports parenting, and today's guest is a recent podcast guest, Aiden McIntyre, who went from a junior college walk-on to a double-A right-hander in the A's organization. Talked to Aiden a couple months ago about his career, would encourage anyone who enjoys this episode to go back and check that one out, but Aiden recently retired and dove into the world of private pitching instruction. He's also a great baseball content creator on YouTube and social media. We dive into the pitching side of the private instruction world and how parents can best be an asset to nurturing not only what their kids pick up from lessons, but nurturing a love for baseball and an organic love for putting in the work necessary to achieve success in the game and beyond. I think so far the series is is doing what I hoped, getting a lot of the same notes from former professionals on best practices for parents. We're going to continue this series for the next couple episodes. We're going to have a, a college coach on. We're going to have a travel ball coach on, maybe one more pro. Kind of you know, see what we get as far as best practices and see if we can put together something that uh, is, you know, a, a great template for any parent with, you know, coaching youth players now or going to have kids in the future. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. We're coming up on number 100, all pretty much evergreen. Go check those out. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We've got organization top 10s being released. College baseball fall reports are in. A lot of great stuff. It is always a good time to subscribe to Baseball America. And with that... Let's talk again to Aiden McIntyre. All right, returning to today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, he's a 22nd round pick at the A's in the 2018 draft, recently joined us to talk out his career, Aiden McIntyre. Aiden, thank you so much for returning to the show. Absolutely, happy to be on. Last time we had you on the show, you had you recently retired, uh, so not a ton has changed, but um, tell, the, tell the folks what you do as far as your continued involvement with baseball and, and private instruction. Yeah, so I am retired. I have not had any uh, new baseball changes since I retired. But um, I, while I was playing, I became a certified trainer, throwing trainer, and I worked with a lot of high school, college, and pro-level pitchers. Um, and so I continue to do online training as well as in-person training um, here in Arizona, where I'm located. And so um, I've enjoyed getting to stay in the game of baseball in a different way as both the training and coaching side of it. Um, as well as I also create a lot of um, baseball content that is mostly just like entertaining and kind of um, informative. So that is how I am getting to stay in the game. And with that, it means that you interact with with a lot of these these players' parents. Um, so I, I I'm wanted to get your insight um, as far as especially because of your career. When we talked, a lot of your your ups and downs, especially like the ascent had to do with how you viewed yourself and how you felt about yourself and, and the kind of goals that you set for yourself when you started, um, when you started wanting big things for yourself, you started creating that and you created that mentality. And I, I'm just curious before we dive into talking about other people's parents with your upbringing and, and your, you know, your personal set of parents, how did your parents impact the mentality you had about baseball when you were playing? I mean, I owe a lot of my career to my parents because there's no way that I would have 
been able to play as long as I did if it wasn't without the support of my parents, both um, from actually like a driving me to practices and getting me to where I needed to be, but also um, they allowed me to love the game of baseball wherever I was at. There was never um, any outside pressure of performance um, or certain things that um, I felt like I needed to do as a player. It was always they allowed me to love the game the way that I loved the game and at the talent level um, that I was at at that certain point in time. So, I mean, I again, I owe a lot of my career to them and allowing their they allowed me to love the game longer than I think a lot of other parents kind of allowed their kids to. So that that loving the game has been a theme of these episodes so far. Um, I've talked. I don't know how how this will work out as far as publication order, but um, talk the the first per, you know parental best practices that we did was with Chucky Fick, who was a pitcher. Um, we've talked to Lane Adams, uh, who who was a hitter and does private instruction like you, and and that has been a, a continued theme of the importance of just teaching kids to love the game. So I want to break it into the kind of sectors and, and you and I had, had messaged about this previously about, it, you know, the, the different areas where parents can help. And I want to, I want to start mainly with, um, let, let's go with the, the job in between practices and the games, because you work with like when you give a pitching lesson, there's, there's typically a parent there, I guess sometimes there's a drop off or something like that. But you know, between private instruction, if you're getting lessons or if you're getting practices, if you're having your games, that actual time supervised by coaches is minimal in terms of the time that is supervised by by parents. What are kind of your your best practices? What would you like to see from the parents of the kids that you're working with in between the times that they see you or the times that they're playing games? I think that it's maybe different than different answer than maybe what parents would expect, but it depends to some extent on age. Um, and obviously, like I am not a parent yet, and I'm sure I will go through this um, if I'm fortunate enough to get to be a parent. But it de- definitely depends on age. But one of the big things that I think you need to allow your children to create their own like development. So for me, my parents never needed to tell me to practice more. I wanted, I was playing wiffle ball or I was hitting or I was throwing um, pretty nonstop between lessons. Um, And so I think that because like I kind of developed that and I went through struggles with it too, where when I was young, I mean, it was, I loved it. And then like I got to high school, maybe I didn't practice enough. And like, even in college was probably um, one of the areas I struggled with it the most until I kind of, it clicked, but was allowing the kid to develop like how much they actually want to play and it can be hard to i've seen it with um friends and even with my younger brothers of you want it as like somebody who's older than them someone who's been through it you want it so much for them that you want to see them practice you want to see their best but we can't make somebody decide how much they want to practice or how much baseball like how much they really love it so I think to some extent, especially when we start talking about getting into like high school, is if your kid feels like the only pra- like they need to practice because they're expected to, I think that's a much different balance than if they want to practice and they're willing to go out there and do it themselves. Like that's a much stronger work ethic because by the time they get to college, it's completely up to them. You get team practices and then if you don't do anything on your own, um, you're that's going to be it versus 
Um, so I think the kids who had like a kind of a work ethic themselves developed, that usually ends up being the best route for continued development. And with the kids that, that you're instructing, giving pitching lessons to, I'd imagine you get something of a feel for this, but how often are parents, do parents have a baseball background or ask you questions? And then how often is, are they pretty in the dark as far as the game goes? Um, I would say it's a split. I think that uh, a lot of the parents I work with, um, they come from some sort of baseball background. So whether it was playing, coaching, um, you know, somebody in the family or just like being a fan of baseball. So I think that it can kind of be a split. And I think that sometimes being in the dark can actually be a benefit. So like my parents, uh, baseball, I brought baseball to our family. Our family was not a baseball family. I started when I was 10 when we moved to Arizona. So even that, like technically that's old, I feel like for starting now. Uh, par- parents would have so much anxiety about their kids starting a, God forbid yeah. they start a sport when they're 10 and don't start at six. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know what baseball was till I was like 10. And so um, I kind of brought baseball in. And so I think that it can be a split between parents. I think sometimes the more you're in the game, it can actually be harder to kind of figure out how to help kids as they're growing up, like develop the love for the game themselves um, because you also have your own image of the game. That's, I think that's a really good point. Um, And that, that's something that like I've admitted that I've struggled with. Like part of this is part of running this series is kind of an exercise for myself to maybe learn some things, but um, that's you, especially if you've been around the game, but maybe haven't, you know, playing and teaching are completely different things. And a lot of times you can see something that you know isn't right, but verbalizing it is different is difficult, and that's what makes the the best coaches who they are. Um, as far as I, I want to stick kind of to to practices too, I, as far as parental best practices or um, parental responsibility during an actual during an actual practice or instruction, whether that be a private lesson, whether that be a practice with a little league coach, a travel team, um, eventually, I, I think a varsity team is kind of more parents parents should not be, I will say a parent should not be at their kids varsity practices. Like y'all need those parents need to relax, but youth instruction where you're responsible for driving, getting the kid there. Like what are, what are, you know, what would you determine as the responsibilities of a parent or things they should, should be doing? I think it can be, um, like, I agree with you. I think once it's in high school, like it's, you gotta, you gotta let your kid kind of like figure it out too. And like, I think that I'm assuming that can be very hard, but um, I think that some of the best practices as somebody who trains um, kids who obviously can't drive and um, is being hands off. So if you are paying for somebody else who is an expert in a field to help you in a certain area, um, I do think it's like it's you're paying them for their service and their service is to um, instruct your kid. And so I think that kind of like removing yourself from it, that doesn't mean like you can't be there. Um, and I think it can be beneficial if like I have some parents who kind of hang around so they can hear kind of what we're talking about um, from an informative side. I think that that can be great. But I do think that during that time period, the communication should really be between the coach and the kid. Um, and a lot of kids don't have a lot of questions. And so like, I just badger them with questions and get talking. And, and so not like uh, allowing your kid to also start engaging in conversation, like about their own pitching, it helps them start to like solve their own problems because 
the way I view coaching too, is it's not like me just fixing problems. It's me helping athletes be a better coach for themselves. So if I can help somebody understand why something is happening, then that's going to be way more beneficial to them than if they only can figure it out when I'm working with them. That doesn't do them as much good as if you're kind of giving them things to walk away with that they learned. Um, so I, I do think that like allowing your kids to start kind of engaging one-on-one, um, even if you are still there in that conversation helps them to develop. What is the best way for a parent to be kind of in, in partnership with you or a conduit to your teachings in between those lessons? Because I, I think of it as I would say best practices for lessons and something that I, that I think I've said on this show that I think my dad did really well was to just listen to the guy who was giving me pitching lessons and then just try to, you know, use the same messaging or reminders or things like that. What what are some of some of the ways that parents whether they have a baseball background or not can can be an asset to you the instructor when you don't have eyes on the child? I think it's valuable to like usually at the end of some of my lessons I'll talk to the parent on kind of the takeaways and what we worked on um and some things that can maybe help whether it's just kind of cues or things that um, me and the player feel like helped them during their lesson. And so if the parent can kind of have that cue, then that can be beneficial. Like I agree that um, communicating with them so that they can also like help communicate. And again, like, I mean, if the, if I'm seeing somebody once a week and like they can work on something that we take away um, during that week, then it's fantastic. It's great for them. So I, I would say that's the, probably the best way to be an asset is to, um, Kind of communicate, but like make sure that the communication you get also with the coach doesn't become your own um, idea of like what that is. And then you start teaching it in a way that isn't what we're trying to do. So let's talk about uh, best practices for behavior behind the chain link. We're at the game. <laughs> Um, just kind of, I mean, that's where, that's where some stuff breaks. It gets back wild. Cause that's when, that's when, that's when the competition and it, it's, I mean, it's tough. You, it is, I think very natural to, even though, you know, it's just little league or, you know, it's just some travel ball tournament that none of these kids are going to remember. It is natural to want to win or to want to see success or, you know, things like that. But what are, you know, what are the things that the parents need to keep in mind during a game? Some, some positive behaviors they can employ. Well, I think the, if we're talking like little league too, the, the most important part of little league is that the player enjoys it. So for them to enjoy it, it has to be fun. And I know a lot of coaches will say the whole, like, well, winning is fun. So then you have to focus on winning and maybe this isn't going to be a popular thing, but like winning in little league does not matter. It does not matter at all. It does not matter for their player's future. It does not matter for the player's happiness. And it also like winning isn't enough for a player to love baseball. So if, but it can definitely be an issue for someone to start not loving baseball is if winning is more important than anything else. And so especially like, I think that, I mean, I've seen a lot of baseball in my days and um, I think the best practices for parents during games is like your kid gets to play and the more hands off you can be, the better, because if anything, I think that what I've seen with a lot of players is that whole kind of getting like a backseat coach. So if a kid's trying to play and they're getting information from their coach and they're getting information from behind the dugout, like, I mean, I saw it in high school. I saw it in college. I'm sure it's even a thing to some extent in pro ball. Like it's, it's kind of insane. Um, so I think that the best practice is being pretty hands off and like letting the coaches and the players work on the field because 
my other thing too, is you forfeit the right to coach when you choose not to coach. You don't get to coach and just be a parent behind home plate. So if you want to be a coach and you actually have the skill set and you're going to be able to be valuable to players, then you should coach. And if you are not coaching, you forfeited your right to coach the player on the field. On that last point, like preach, good sir. Because that, I mean, that that is that is an issue. And I, I think even bringing, up, bringing it up for high school too, because there are, um, you do see a lot of, you know, kids walking back from an at-bat, parents there at the chain link to tell them something or, or you know, things like that. And um, th- that can go awry. Uh, and I, you're, you're also right with pro ball. I think like every story you hear about such and such pro ball players, dad getting into it with the organization or what, like that's never, it's never, it never goes positively from, from what I, you know, there's a, there's a no. pretty significant story that, that comes to mind as far as a player who does that. But, um, I, I think you're kind of echoing what we've talked about in the previous episodes so far of like at the game, it's just like positivity, like yep. be, if you're going to be heard, it just needs to be, you know, fairly generic because it, yeah anything that gets more specific can get out of hand. Yeah. And I mean, I think that, I mean, it's your job as a fan because like at a game, you're both a parent and you're a fan and there's an entire team of people that you're supposed to be rooting for. And so the better you can behave as a parent, the better your kid is going to behave as a player. Um, And so I think that like, uh, like you said, I mean, your job is to be there and be encouraging and enjoy it. And whether it's a terrible game or not, um, it like, that's kind of where that difference of like, the winning does not matter at a young enough age. If I've seen players like who lose and they're, they love it and they had a great game. And a lot of the times kids at a young age don't actually learn that they shouldn't be enjoying it until their parents let them know that because they lost, it wasn't a good game. And so a lot of the times like kids could finish a game and that they just lost and they thought it was great. They had a good time. And it's not really till they start to feel the pressure of like, Oh, maybe it wasn't good that they even start to consider that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the car ride home. I think one of the toughest aspects, that instant evaluation of, you know, you guys just packed in, you're headed back. And this, I think this is something that it might not be the car ride when a player gets into high school, if he's driving himself or whatever, but it it is still a thing that at some point you will have a conversation with your child about the game or practice that just happened. Um, let's start with the car ride home after after some failure, because I think that's that's where things get really difficult. A couple errors, some strikeouts, just not not positive plays in the field, and the the best way to uh, to approach that and leave that conversation with, I think, especially the child f- still feeling positive or encouraged. Yeah, well, and first off, I mean, you said it. It's always going to be a car ride home with failure. It's baseball. We're choosing to play a sport where you are going to only fail pretty much every single day. Um, so almost every car ride is going to involve some failure. And that's why I do think that the car at home is so important. And like that post game analysis, um, if you will. And again, I just think that the most important thing is kind of letting the players start to figure out how they like to like analyze a game. Um, cause I mean, at some ages, like a kid could have a bad game and they don't really even know, like, because they, they had fun or they had a good time or the team won. So like, they're okay. So again, like insinuating and like starting to put pressure in that, like it wasn't a good game um, is one thing. If a player, and I know I did this myself and I'll talk a little bit about some of the practices my parents did, but I was very like um, critical of myself and my performance once I got a little bit older. So maybe like club ball, 
um, even like club also before high school. And so on those car rides home, I would like debrief. I would go in depth about everything that like went wrong or what I could have done better. Um, and they kind of, they allowed me the room to process. And so that was kind of like my process. And then that process also though, ended with like discussion of like, okay, so I didn't hit well today. And it was because like I was being tentative. So I'm going to work on not being tentative, like kind of knowing that going forward. So kind of like coming out with key takeaways and that are positively like you're moving in the right step. So even though it didn't go well, we're going to do this to get to a better result. Um, but then another thing that we also and my mom implemented this was when we parked at our home, it was done. The debriefing was done. The conversation was done. There was no more like, and I mean, we could talk about like, and that was more so the negative side. So if we were talking about anything that was hard or negative or the bad, that stopped when the car parked. And some of these rides are an hour, some of them are 10 minutes, but either way it was done. And then we can move forward with anything that was positive about the game. And so I think that always finishing on something positive, whether it was your performance or your team's performance um, or something like fun, then I think that that kind of like ending it on the positive note is the best way for no matter what the outcome was for you to feel like better. Like I have things I can work on and also like this was fun. And then it kind of gets you into a better space um, rather than I mean, I I know it. I played with guys who that car ride home was like dreaded. And for the long term success of like a your relationship and also like your kid's baseball career if they're dreading the drive home at some point they will stop playing and there will be no more drive home. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree. I would agree. And finding that, that formula is, is, is difficult because it's, there needs to be a blend of, of reality and honesty. There needs to be a blend of encouragement. Like mm -hmm. I always, you know, I, I started working with something when I was a junior and senior in college of like, okay, what I do well, what am I going to yep. work on? And then what I have takeaways are great. And, yeah. 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 So, the opposite side of that coin, again, it's a game of failure, but sometimes, especially in youth sports, like six, especially with certain kids, like success can be, can be consistent. Um, how the best ways to deal with success. Cause I think that's something that not many parents, not many people think about is if a kid is because you have the instinct. If your kid has a great game, you know, three for three or throws a shout out, whatever it might be. You're just like, man, you're the greatest. That went awesome. Like you are just killing it. Like I see the big leagues for you. Like what are, what is the best way to take success in stride and leave your kids still feeling positive, but not, I guess, overconfident. Yeah. I think that it's hard with at a young age, a lot of success is based around development. So the most developed players are the best players. And this is a trend all the way to the big leagues. The best big league players are the physically the best players. Um, and they have attributes that other players don't have. Um, and so I'll never forget when I was 13 playing against a guy who had a mustache. Yes. Like, no, like more I, than I can exactly. still grow at this age. I, I, I remember <laughs> when, cause I was always undersized when I was young. So I knew I wasn't that player. And so dealing with success, a lot of it was never my issue. Um, same, same. Never have these, never have these problems. <laughs> yeah. My entire career dealing with a lot of success was never my problem. Um, and so, but what I think I noticed with a lot of the players who were super successful, really young is they expected to have that same success forever. 
And what happens is a lot of those players who like when I was 14, they were, I was like four foot five and they were six, three. So they're a better player. And like, they were faster, stronger, everything. And so they were so much better than me at the time. And I knew it. They knew it. Everyone knew it. It's not like hidden, but a lot of those players, by the time that like college rolls around, they're not playing baseball anymore. And somehow I'm going to a junior college, which maybe it's like not even um, frowned upon or like it's, oh, it's not that great. But then like even some of those players, like maybe they did get to like a D1 out of high school because they were still the best player in high school. And then like they're done in college. I played with a ton of guys in club ball when I was 18 who were all committed to big D1s, had done all the showcases, were the absolute dude. And they didn't go pro. And a large part of that, I think, is due to the fact that they just didn't think that they had to do that much to continue to stay at the same level as the players that they're with. Because at some point, players catch up development-wise. So I think it's a long-winded way of saying, like, I think when kids are younger, um, it's great to be successful. I mean, it's fantastic. But the joy of the game can't be around being successful. Because if the if the fun and the enjoyable part of baseball is when you're successful, you will not last in the game of baseball. So for players who are super successful, super young, um, I do think just like keeping it at a like moderate level of like it was a great game and like absolutely being positive and complimentary. And but yeah, I mean, not letting them not building up this thing of like, oh, well, you're the best player at 13. So you're going to be the best player. You're going to college. You're going to be a pro player. Um, I think keeping it just like where it is, because the, again, the best players though, like Bryce Harper, you're looking at a guy who was a phenom from the time he was 10 years old. Um, and so like, I, it would have been easy for his parents to be like, well, you're going to be a big leaguer. And obviously he's a little bit different, but for him, I know that there had to be some sort of grounding in it wasn't just about how good he was. He also loved playing and like, Hey, we're actually going to have you play up because we want you to pretty much deal with failure. Like he played mm -hmm. up four years because that was the level he needed to be at to compete and like actually fail. So not just like being, being the best at a very young age doesn't really do anything for you in the long-term plan of baseball. Yeah. Because Everyone is going to fail at some point. I think that's been a theme. This will be like the 94th episode of the show or something like that. And we've had a lot of guys on the show who were first round picks. Like we've had the sixth overall pick and, and guys like that. And at some point, every single one of them hits a point in this game where things go badly. I think a guy that we're going to have on in this series who exemplifies that really well is Richie Schaefer, who hit was a phenom in high school. He hit at Clemson. He was a first-round pick, and then his first year of pro ball went really tough, and that was extremely difficult on him because he had never failed before. And it, I think if you can have practices in place, even if you, if even if the your child or one of the kids you're coaching is one of these special talented players, like there needs to be some guardrails in place and some reality of this will get tough for you, and it. That's perfectly normal. It's perfectly yeah. okay. Mike Trout hit like 220 when he got his first call up. Like it has, yeah. it's going to happen to everybody. Yeah. And it, it's, it can be, uh, kids don't believe it because like, if you're the best at your age, like, why would you ever think that you're not going to be the best? Um, and this doesn't mean like being like, oh, well, you're just like, it doesn't mean being negative about it. It's a great thing to be a good player. But like you said, I, I remember having a conversation um, in a bullpen or in a clubhouse at some point. And it was somebody who, yeah, was like a super high round pick. And it was our first year in pro ball. And I literally remember like at some point we were talking and it was like a group of us. 
and he pretty much said he's like i've he's like i've never uh i've never like you know struggled like this i'm like oh like you know we all go through like bad patches he goes no like i've never like i've never had a bad game and i remember about passing out because i was like like what do you mean like he he went all the way through high school and college and he literally never struggled he never got hit he was always like the best and that is not a good trait to actually have when you when you keep climbing levels because you can't do that forever there's nobody at the big league level who does that um so i think that like establishing again why you enjoy the game and the fact that like keeping everything in perspective and i think as a parent i don't understand it because i haven't experienced it and i think it'd be a lot harder but as a coach a lot of players who i've worked with who are really good for their age or maybe better for their age um depending on the situation like i will remind them like hey you're really good for like 18 20 years old you're in college you're at a d1 like you know you're doing pretty good you're throwing low 90s like there's 16 year old kids who throw 100 do you think you're that good and like let them like remind them and i'm not going to do that for a kid who's 12 years old but it is like the reality and like i always talked about it like is there is always somebody better than you who is younger than you. And so like keeping that perspective, which I think is hard as a kid, but if you as a parent can keep your kid grounded in the fact, like it's great to be good, but we just need to keep doing all the things that are helping you be good. Because what happens with a lot of players who are really good is they don't have the work ethic because they didn't need to. And this is a big thing that I think players get blamed for that. I don't think it's the player's fault. If the player was better than everybody their entire career, why would they have a work ethic? Yeah, that I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And and that's where it can lie at a parent's feet to, again, to ground them in reality of at some point, even if you're great, there's some, you know, you're going to come up against someone. And I think on the inverse of even if you're struggling, there's room for growth. There are places to look where yes. you've got it, you know, you've got a chance. And if you put the work in, you know, I think, uh, again, to go back to something Richie said the last time he was on the show of like, if you want to have these dream, you know, these dreams, these goals, whatever, it starts with having, having a plan of work. If you are putting in, I want to get to the big leagues level work, then you've got nothing to be ashamed of. Um, you've just, you just got to be honest with yourself yeah. on the type of work you're putting in, not as much, you know, as, just as much as the, the type of player you are. So with that, I want to go into what are some red flags you've seen or, you know, over your time playing over your time coaching, just things that don't likely would deter a kid from reaching their full potential or from enjoying baseball. I'll have to think of how to actually like break all these down. The, the major one is like being, I've seen it with parents, especially with dads who are so overly involved that they never let their player develop their own like work ethic or develop like their own identity as a baseball player so it's the whole like a huge red flag is after any game you have to immediately call your dad and like i i i saw it it was in pro ball like the whole like guys after a bad game it's like like they're on the phone with their dad and like their dad's like well why were you one for four or like why'd you have a bad outing like that is insane to me that is mind-blowing and i just because it's you're not allowing them to like have their own identity around the game of baseball they're whatever level they're at so i think being like it doesn't mean that you as a parent can't be a coach a coach is one thing but like coaching and parenting have to be separate roles they can't be the same role so i think it could be hard to figure out how to do both well 
Um, but I mean, your job as a parent is to support your player, to love the game and to also like, though, like keep them accountable for what they're saying they want. Like you said, if you want to be a big leaguer and you're in college, like it can be helpful as a parent to like, be like, Hey, like, what are you actually doing to, you know, get to that goal? Do you feel like you're actually doing all the work? Um, but I, I think that the whole, like the the game and like fear of failure is big enough in baseball but like the fear of having to like call your parents or talk to your dad after a bad game there's no absolutely no room for it in the game of baseball or in any sport i don't think that there's any positive um outcome that is involved in that um and it doesn't mean that you can't like have a conversation with your parents after the game but like you shouldn't be dreading it if it's a bad game that's the biggest one for me is like instilling like again like instilling fear of like a different outcome based on like your performance. Yeah, that's that's what I want to piggyback on is is kind of if we're talking about, you know, eventually like a rule set for sports parents, your kids should always when it comes to sports, when it comes to really anything, your kids should always look to you as a source of comfort. Yep. as a source of, of reassurance, whatever, if you had your best game or if you had your worst game. And I think if there's any other, there's any other feelings they have toward that conversation that we may need to reevaluate how we're talking about sports. Yes. Reassurance is the number one role that you should be fulfilling in any sort of post game or like co athletic career, athletic endeavors, however you want to say it, um, is that reassurance and almost like that structure of like, no, like you have, we have the plan you're good. It's a bad game. Like, here's what we're going to do. Um, and just like kind of being there in the moment. Um, cause yeah, I, I agree that that's like, that is the most beneficial thing that you can do, um, is kind of just be that like consistency for them. And on that, so that's kind of like a golden rule or something. Do you have like a, a bam, 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 like three bullet points of these are the, the sports parent commandments from Aiden McIntyre? Ooh. Um, I don't know about a bulleted point. I, I think that the number one, and this might, I might only have one, um, but I think that the number one, especially at younger ages, is that the game of baseball needs to be fun. Because as soon as the game of baseball becomes not fun, as when players either stop playing or stop performing, or the performance doesn't even matter. And so I think that like thinking about it in the space of like, it doesn't matter how good you are. It matters the direction that you're taking. Um, I'm forgetting the exact quote, but it's more important like where your feet are at or it's more important about the direction that you're going than where your feet are at currently. So like for me as a player, I was always behind, but I always had like reassurance and somebody supporting my ideas and my plan that kept me going. Um, and if I didn't have that, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would have played high school baseball. I think, I think that's good. I like that. I like, like we said, before we started recording, I think over the course of the series, we're going to hear a lot of the same things. And hopefully that leads to like a good guideline of, of parental best practices. So, um, tell the folks where they can follow you on social media and check out your content. So I am mostly, most of my content is on um, Instagram right now. It is just Aiden McIntyre underscore. Um, and then I also do have a YouTube channel as well. That is just my name. And so that's where most of my content goes and all of my online training is through there. Awesome. Well, Aiden, thank you so much for returning to the show. That's all I got for you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. You got it. And that's it for today's episode. Big thanks to Aiden McIntyre for stopping by the show, walking through his do's and don'ts of sports parenting. If you enjoyed this episode, specifically the sports parenting series, go back, check out the first few, and we will have a couple more episodes with that coming up. Episodes drop every other Tuesday, so we'll catch you in two weeks. 
Thanks for listening.